Hi, I'm Stephen Crafty and this is Talking Design. Today I'd like to take you back to my 2015 interview with Tony Newsham. Founder of Trelawney, Tony brought a real fashion style to Melbourne in the 1970s right through to the mid-1990s. Enjoy. Hi, my name's Stephen Crafty. I'm presenting Talking Design in Melbourne at RMIT University. And I'm with someone very special who's from my past, and he didn't know me at the time. I was uh, only quite young, but his name is Tony Newsham. Tony Newsham uh, started Trelinis in Melbourne and Sydney, later in Sydney, and was probably the most iconic, I hate the word iconic, but the most significant fashion store for men uh, in the 80s. And uh, then he went on to become Vice President of Comme des Garçons in New York. So welcome to the show, Tony. Thanks, Stephen. I don't think I can own up to all of that, but thank you anyway. <laughs> I've been dying to do this interview for a long time now because... To be quite honest, I was studying town planning at RMIT in the 80s, and the only thing that really kept me going was going to the Trelini store. <laughs> nice, nice, nice. How? Tell me a bit of background. Trelini, for those who don't, a lot of people in their 50s, late 40s, 50s and 60s would probably uh, remember very clearly uh, Trelini's in Burke Street and also in Sydney in Elizabeth Street, but... How did Trelini start? Because you didn't really have a fashion background, did you? I didn't know. Uh, I had a sense of style, I guess, which I didn't know I had a sense of style. How do you know it? Um, did people start telling you? Yeah, that's what happened. Um, I came out here uh, in 1972 from the UK. And, of course, um, I stayed with a, f a friend of mine, John Hesline, um, whose dad was very influential because he said to me, you've come such a long, long way, 12,000 miles, you know, and um, you should think about doing something different with your life. And it made me think. Mm. And he said, you've got a sense of style. You, you can put things together. John's father owned a news agency, but before that he worked for Andrew Brothers, the fabric people. Mm. And he said to me... Um, you should think of maybe going into fashion. Uh, go to Myers. <laughs> go down and have a look at Myers. Well, I did. I went to Burke Street and looked at Myers. Buckley's and Nunn was, ne Nunn was mm. next door, and I looked at the store and I thought, "Wow, how do you how do you how do you start? How, how what, what do I say? You know, I mean, were you looking for a job at Myers? Yeah, yeah, because his father said mm. to me, "Go on," you know, yeah. uh, because at that time, I was working outside in civil engineering, mm. you know. Um, I was driving what, what you would call a backhoe. So mm. I wore shorts every day, and in the mm. evening when I went out, yes, I, I dressed up. And in Melbourne in those days, there was people like Tony Tanachi, there was Gaylords, there was Chester's, there was um, a new store that had just opened, which, is, which was called Rarity. And um, they had a small shop... Uh, in what was then on Burke Street, which was known as the Eureka Stockade. And it it, it originally been the bottle shop, and it probably wasn't as uh, probably twice the size of this booth here, which was mm -hmm. probably about 550 square feet or something, not very large. And in the window it said, Taylor Boy, wanted. So <laughs> I went in and I said, to, I didn't even know what a Taylor Boy was, you know, one sense. You know? And I went in and I said to the guy, 
um, I came about the ad in the window. And it was a fellow by the name of Alan Grierson. Long hair, yeah. tall guy. Very nice, very nice. And uh, he said to me, um, okay, where are you from? I said, I'm from England. He said, okay, fine. Um, and you, have you worked in menswear before? I said, yeah, yeah, I have, I have, I have. You know, which was which I hadn't, you know. Yeah. Well, you like clothes. You know, and you I like clothes, well. so, you know, I thought, well, why not? Mm. Um, and I was dressed, you know, a certain way. Um, and he said to me, okay, I'll take your name and um, we'll give you a call tomorrow. And he, he wrote my name down in the back of this lay-by book. And you know what a lay-by book is. That was when people couldn't afford to buy things, they'd yeah. lay them away. So, And there was, uh, there was probably about 30 names in the back of this book. Oh. So the following day, to cut the story short, I came back and he wasn't there. And there was a, a, one of the owners of the business, John Burnell. The other one was Rick Taranto. And I said, um, oh, I, I came back about the job. I came yesterday. I think my name's in the back of the book. And John just looked up at somebody in the sky. There was a guy up in the rafters. And he said, Rick, you know that guy came in yesterday, the English guy, the pom? <laughs> He's back again. <laughs> and Rick just leaned over the thing and looked down. He said, OK. And that was it. I started. I mean, you know, my life changed. Yeah. yeah. How does, but how from going from that, which being a tailor boy... Yeah. And, you know, I mean, you must have been a bit problematic to start with because you didn't really... Oh, I did. You know what a tailor boy is? I just had to take things to the tailors. You oh, know, that's Backwards easy. and forwards. It was oh. easy. You know, the fact that I couldn't really... Um, tailor. Uh, yeah. It didn't matter. That was no problem. It was just a matter of running stuff up there. Yeah. I was basically a gopher. Go for this, go for that. But it didn't matter because I realized one thing very, very quickly. Um, look and learn. Look, listen, learn. You know? And um, all I had to do was work harder than anybody else. So I was the first there in the morning. I'd be standing out the door at quarter to nine, you know, and I, was, I wanted to get in, which meant that in six months they gave me a key because I was always there before everybody else. Um, so I loved it. I loved it. How, you know, I think and that was it. Tony, I think when people who remember Trelawney's, it was walking into a shrine of perfection. I mean, I think I met you in New York once. I did meet you in New York, and I described all the beautiful clothes that I bought through my through my twenties. I can still remember how beautifully laid and presented each thing was in Trelawney's. First of all, when did Trelawney's actually open the doors? It was probably before I discovered it. Nineteen seventy-seven. And what was the idea going into your head? Because there would have been a little bit of competition well, at that stage. Well, I worked for Rick, um, Taranto, and I worked for Rick for about three years. And after the first six months, I think they realised that I had something, and I had something to offer their business. Like I said, there was Gaylords, there was the inn shop, you know, there was Joseph Saba, you know, and Joseph Saba, I went into Joseph Saba's shop in little, in little um, Flinders, Lane. Flinders Lane and bought a green polka dot shirt and it was almost like see-through <laughs> and a pair of white pants from Gaylords because that's what people were wearing then you know and then I bought a wear of uh, a pair of uh, white platform shoes from um, a shop called the Tunnel on Swanson Street where all the Windsor Smith platform shoes were coming out mm -hmm. you know I mean it was it was part of that time you know there weren't many shops to go to and every these shops they had something to say mm -hmm. um, but yeah I 
I wanted to work for myself, so that was the old, that that was the goal. And I realized that Rick would take me everywhere, and he'd say, "Call me up. I just get home." And he'd say, "Oh, we're going to have a look at a collection. Can you come?" Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay, Linda. My former wife, can you put my dinner in the oven? You <laughs> know, put it in a pan for you, and to keep it warm. So you were moving into and, buying, and, and I was moving to buying, and they started taking me to places. And you know, there were we we started doing that. Then I go and see the manufacturers, and that's where, like Pierre Giswoldi, you know, for Masons. He's he, been on the show. He used to make leather jackets, and he made fantastic leather jackets. And you know, it was great. And sometimes I lived in Fitzroy, and he lived out that way. And he'd see me waiting for the tram in the morning, and he'd pick me up in his big car, you know. <laughs> he had one of those big Italian cars. You know? He'd pick me up um, and said, you want a lift? And it was great, because he'd talk to me and stuff. He was much older than me, you know. Um, and it was good that people thought something of me. Now, uh, there was a guy who uh, owned a jean company, Peter Porschwang, Um <clears throat> Uh, from one of the major, I can't remember the name now. If it comes back to me, I'll let you know. But, um, and I would go and see his jeans with Rick, and we would. Uh, he'd say to me, "What do you think is good?" and that sort of thing. So you're really kind so of moving. I was I was being I was being mentored at the same time by someone without being known that I was being mentored, and I would meet these people, and some of these people would come back and offer me jobs. But being very loyal, I couldn't leave Rick because. I knew where I was going to go. I knew that eventually, if I could get some money together, I would start my own business. So what was, you know? what was the vision in your mind when you opened Trelawney's? Once I got the store, uh, was to, was, the visage was to develop an image. Now, Trelawney is a made-up name. I took a 1966 English Vogue magazine with Gene Shrimpton on the front. And in there, there was a name, there was a brand that was called Trell. I think it was a women's wear brand. So I liked the word Trell. And I took the I&I of Puccini and put it together. Trellini. And called it Trellini. And it didn't mean anything, uh, probably to anybody. And then the, the idea then was to establish... An image. And what were you looking for in terms of the early... I mean, you actually started working with someone else who's been on the show, Maureen Fitzgerald. I did, yeah. So what were you looking for to, to actually <sighs> present to Melbourne and Sydney? Well, here's the thing. Um, I was looking for product, and I was looking for good product. Um, I started the store, and I originally bought the existing business from someone from Italy, which was called Fabio Caviglia. And I had no money. Uh, we started it off with uh, a former partner, Mario Longo, uh, another guy, uh, Lou Azzaro, who was the president of Xenia. He wasn't then, but he became that. Um, and there was three of us in a partnership. Lou dropped out along the way because it needed some more money. We needed to put some more money in. And we were looking for product. So the product that I bought from Fabio Caviglia, which I didn't want, which was Pancaldi ties and this sort of thing and printed shirts, big collars, I had to get rid of. So I discounted it, sold it all out, got that money back and started putting it into domestic brands. And I would go and see these same people that had supplied Rick when I worked for Rick Taranto. Unfortunately, I couldn't get supplied because, you know, he had more shops than me. I just had the one. So basically, I understand that. Um, 
I had to go overseas. And what were you looking for overseas? What were some of the labels you were instrumental in bringing into Australia? Because Piero brought in uh, Jean-Paul Gaultier very early in the piece. He who did. Were the, who were the people you brought into he Australia? Did. Well, I went... Uh, first. My first port of call was, was uh, England. I brought in Paul Smith. And I brought in Brown's. Simon Burstein had a collection. Um, along the way from there, I brought in... I have some information. There's some photographs yeah. there. I brought in Catherine Hamnett... Who had those wonderful slogans on the front yes, of the T-shirt? Right. Yes, in the eighties, um, and I had um, I started uh, looking for different types of brand. I started I started to go to Italy, and brands like Gian, Gianmarco Venturi, uh, Calugi and Janella, you know. Um, and then obviously the Japanese and, labels and the Japanese. But before I got to the Japanese, I had Armani, I had Versace. I mean, at one stage, I owned a, I had a Versace store in Double Bay in Sydney, um, and I used to go and buy these uh, these brands, you know. And I would sit there, and I remember once sitting, I'd have finally arrived in Versace's showroom, and then Versace was designing for people like Complice. Excuse me, I'm drying up, and I'm sitting there, and I'm waiting there, and I met this woman called Anna Maria Constanzo. And she brought me up to the showroom, and I thought, oh, wow, I've arrived. And she said to me, um, you know, we have a minimum, <laughs> as most design companies did. And I said, oh, yeah, don't worry about the minimum. She said, oh, no, it's very important that you respect the minimum. You were thinking 10, 20? And, and uh, I said, what's the minimum? She said, oh, she said, uh, it's... Um, it's uh, $40,000 or something like that, $50,000. It was a lot. And I said, well, don't worry about it because, um, you know, just show me the collection then we'll go from there. Anyway, they, sh they showed me the collection. And by the time I'd finished, <laughs> I'd, I'd spent $100,000. And I remember coming out of that showroom and walking down the street and I was thinking, oh, my goodness me, what have I got? Where am I going to get all that money from? And you have to remember that in those days, you had to pay 50% duty. Mm. So if, if you didn't have any quota, there was a penalty, you know, 50% on this or 25% of that, you know. On leather, it was a hundred and something dollars, a yeah, hundred percent of whatever the value of. So if you bought a leather jacket for a hundred, it would cost, you pay the government two right. and then you had to sell it for four, you know. Sometimes you sold yeah. it for three, it didn't matter because you had to have the product to make the image. So it was all about trying to make an image. And I, I didn't necessarily go looking for labels as such. I went looking for things that I liked and I could relate to. And that came about. You and you'd know, also, I mean, as well as the labels you brought in, you also developed a lot of labels with designers here. We did. So rather than just we did. taking what they had, we did. really working with we manufacturers. Worked with Andrew, we worked with Andrew Savides in, in uh in Maclay Street in Potts Point because um, in Sydney because he had a manufacturing plant and he could um, he could develop things for me and we had an agreement where we said okay you sell it in your store and I'll sell it in my store when did the Tony when did the Japanese designers start coming into I think Trilini's? about I think about 19 1981-82 because that was a huge fashion shift. It was not it, just in. It was in well, we've been we've been selling Versace, and um, we wanted to change. And I discovered, I discovered um, 
Comedy Garçon, someone pushed uh, a brochure underneath my door in those days, and it was someone that was that was connected to Comedy Garçon. It was a woman, and I got this small brochure, and it was women's wear. And I wasn't doing women's wear then; I was doing men's. But I liked it, and of course, I went to Paris. And at that time, I was working. Um, at the time I was in Paris, I was working uh, with s several English brands, Stephen King, uh, Rosalind Joff, and I met uh, Adrian Joffe, who now is married to Ray Kawakubo. Um, but at the time, he wasn't. He was working for his sister, and he was selling uh, Ros Joff knits, and I used to bring those in into in, into Australia. They were fantastic knits. Mm. They were made on uh, hand loomed, um, and in those days that you didn't have the Atasio machines that could do that particular knit. But eventually, uh, some of the bigger companies got these machines and they started to make these particular knits. Um, Tony, your story is so big. I actually want to. I would have to have you back again. You probably <laughs> won't want to be. But I'm interested in. I mean, Trelawney's. Most people still talk about it, yeah. uh, and really in my age group anyway. Uh, talk about Trelawney's and we lament the fact it's not there. Um, but how did the how did you end up working with Com? Because the the business closed. Trelawney closed in yeah early nineties. Yeah. Well, it closed at ninety ninety five. Oh, <clears throat> mid nineties. So here I was broke, <laughs> with no home, no money. Um, and a friend of mine sent a ticket for me and asked me to come to New York. And he wanted me to meet some people in New York. So I had nothing to lose. Um, I got on a plane and I got to New York and they said to me, um, it was the president of uh, Club Med in New York said to me, um, I, have, I, have, I have a problem with some stores, you know, would you be able to... Uh, do a field trip and uh, go out there. So I did this exercise and I went to six club meds from various places in Mexico and Huatulco and um, the islands, Bahamas. Came back and uh, gave them the information. Then they asked me to go to Paris. And I was living in Paris and again I met up with Adrian Joffe. And after three years of living in Paris, working for Club Med and traveling the world as director of product, he asked me to join Comedy Garçon. They were looking for a new general manager in New York. They wanted to change, and would I be interested? And I said, why me? I said, because you understand our product. And um, I said, well, thanks for the compliment. <laughs> you know, what does it pay? <laughs> because then I had a daughter in, in school, and I wanted to keep her in private school, and... Um, yeah, all of those things. And, uh, what I mean, the experience must be extraordinary. I know it's hard work, and I know you're just a very solid worker. But working with Ray Kawakubo, Adrian Joffe, you know, and such a wonderful team at Com. Yeah, it's fabulous. It's, I mean, the they are really on top of their game. On and, top of their game, it's very creative, you know, and you can have an idea, and uh, those ideas are shared, and sometimes they don't come out and. For three years. And you were there for 13 years? I was there for 13 years. I was there a long time. It was hard to leave, but 
I decided that I had to leave, you know, um, because it, it was time. When you, um, when you look back on this period, I mean, the 80s is big again, and you probably, you were saying to me earlier, you feel a bit disconnected. But don't, when you look at all these wonderful images of the 80s and... and well, I just got this stuff out now, yeah. and I looked at it yesterday. This, I mean, there's this a probably, great... It's probably the first time in 15 years I've seen it. But there's a there's an image uh, I'm looking at by David Band, the yeah. late David Band, the graphic designer. Yeah. And you worked with, collaborated with him on T-shirts in the... I 80s. did. I did in the 80s. On he, the 80s. I used to say to David, he'd say to me, hey, we should do some T-shirts again. And I'd say, yeah. When I first met him, he said, I, my name's David Band. I do graphic design. He had a little portfolio. I worked with Spandau Ballet and everything, blah, blah. And he came through someone in London and he just moved here. And he had a lovely girlfriend at the time. And I said to him, yeah, okay. They used to come in together. And he said, well, this is what I can do. And I said, yeah, that's great, but I don't want that. Um, and he said, well, what's the brief? <laughs> I didn't even know, really know what the brief was, you know. So we started talking about different things. And he would um, suggest something, and I'd suggest something. And then he'd go away, and he'd come back. And he had 12 T-shirts. And I said, oh, yeah, they're great, but I don't like that, but I like that one. I said, now, if you can go away and come up with something like that, um, that'd be great. So and, of course, he did, and he didn't get paid until he did the designs. Yeah. But he came back, and it was exactly what I wanted, because he understood what I wanted once we started to talk, you know. Uh, even though you wouldn't be as pretentious enough to say it, you are, in a sense, a designer, because I mean, you are a designer. I can, I, can I can interpret certain things, you know. I mean, I used to go overseas like everybody does, and they still do it, yeah. and I'd come back with something. And well, I would make it because I could make it just as well. Yeah. Uh, and um, the fabric might not be the same, but it would be very, very good fabric. How do, Tony, how do you know when you've seen something remarkable, whether it's a collection that you saw from Colm or, you know, just in the street? What tends to kind of get your antenna up and you actually hone in on something and think this is remarkable what I think to... I think it's just like you get excited you, you know I, I used to get excited about things the hairs on the back of my arms would stand up and I I would see it I, I, I could relate to it I could put it on you know if I could put it on I could wear it then for me that was that was the thing and I, I tried most of the stuff on that came into the store um, because I think it was important. That was part of the image. That's why when we started advertising in various magazines, small magazines, Vogue magazine, I mean, it was $25,000, $22,000 then to put a, an wow. ad in Vogue magazine. Can you imagine? Wow. That's like throwing money away. You know, yeah. some people would say that. But for me, I had to create an image because what was the image? Um, you know, the image was the product. How do you get across to people that this is fantastic product? Um, the only way is that you can pop it in an image. So sometimes I would do my own advertising because I couldn't afford the model. So you're <laughs> so, actually so saying... I, be I, became, I became the model. Or, you know, I'd, there'd be some young guy out in a club and, and he'd be a client of the store. And I'd say, hey, do you want to be in the ad? And um, we get a local photographer... Um, and um, we'd shoot it, and that's an image, I mean, you know. Tony, um, obviously, you, you know, it hasn't been that long since you've been away from fashion, but 
how do you look at fashion at the moment? I mean, coming back to Melbourne, uh, well, or even a, just how do you see it? Or do you if you kind of try to cut the, yourself off from it? There's a lot more of it, you know. Um, especially, especially Melbourne. I mean, have a look at the stores. There's, mm. there's so much of it, you know. Too much, do you think? I think yes and no, because if the market can, can, um, um, if the market's there for it, then um, and everybody has different tastes. You know, there's different levels. It's changed now. I, I think that people don't really care so much about the big brands you know they care about making their own look yeah that's what and, I and that's what it's all about if you can make your own look mm. then you don't have to spend x amount of dollars on this you know it's not that important now and young people people today communicate differently you know they communicate on the internet facebook different things mm. so they can meet people they don't have to dress up to meet people mm. to say this is who i am mm. they, they can express themselves without doing that so yeah the industry's changed and the and the business has changed but you know tony also for for you know fashion designers or creative people who are starting out and really want direction if i had to ask you what's one bit of advice you'd give to someone starting out a fashion on a fashion career either you know about to to, to put a range together what's the thing that you would probably advise them to do you got to be you have to believe in yourself and work hard you know, um, I think that's that's very important. And observe, because you can learn a lot from looking at mm. other things that people do, even if they do it badly, because mm. you can learn, well, I'm not going to go that way, you know. <laughs> Tony, I think I could speak to you for at least another few hours, <laughs> but unfortunately I'm, I'm running out of time. But um, just a real joy to have you on the show. Um, I've been a huge fan for many, many years, and and the the excitement I had as a... A twenty-something person going into Trelawney's every season, really salivating at the clothes and and getting so hyper and coming home to my partner and saying, "I already know what I want for my birthday." That was really precious for me, oh, and glad. it got and it got me through my town planning <laughs> course. So I'm glad you enjoyed it because you know, it was we were in the pursuit of excellence, and um, that's all I can tell you. You know, it's we enjoyed doing it. I enjoyed working with. All of the young people that I worked with at the time, they were young, I was young, and a lot of them have gone on to do really good things, so that gives me pleasure, you know. Thanks so much for coming on the show today, Tony. You've been with Stephen Crafty, Talking Design, with Tony Newsham. Thanks so much for listening.